This summer we're looking at the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in Matthew 18 today. There's an introductory verse which many believe uh, ties into the parable than the actual parable itself. I tell you, do not despise one of these little ones, for their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off? Will he not leave the ninety-nine in the hills and go and look for the one who has wandered off? And if he finds it, he will be happy over the one sheep he has found than the ninety-nine who were there. In the same way, your heavenly Father is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Muhammad Adib was a shepherd, and he had a flock of 255 sheep. Now, shepherds at certain times of the day gather their flock together, and they count them to know that they are all there. Well, Muhammad had missed. He'd skipped one of the counts, and so uh, to his horror, when he counted uh, toward the end of that day, one of the sheep was missing. So he went off in search of that sheep and went into some caves, near some caves that were close by. And as shepherds often do, he threw a rock to try to get the sheep's attention, also could be used to direct the sheep. And throwing the rocks in the cave to see if the sheep was there, he heard something crash. Something had broken. He wandered in the cave where he had heard what was broken by the rock. And he found there what would come to be known in 1947 as the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was an amazing discovery. It was a tremendous surprise to scholars everywhere that all these biblical texts, as well as texts of the Essenes, would be found there in the caves of Qumran. But it should have come as no surprise that these texts were discovered by a shepherd boy. Because if you look at the scripture, God has so often worked through shepherds. Abraham, we're told, the father of many nations, was a shepherd with very many sheep. His grandson, Jacob, spent a lot of time with his father-in-law's sheep. Later, when the people of Israel were enslaved to the Egyptians and Moses had to run away, Moses was in Midian, and what he did for a living there was he shepherded the sheep. Later, King David would be called forth before he was king to fight Goliath. And of course, his preparation for fighting Goliath was he was a shepherd in Bethlehem. A thousand years after King David, when the Messiah was to be born, it was announced to a group of shepherds outside Bethlehem. And in the Gospel of John, as Jesus wanted to describe who he was and what he was about, he used this phrase, I am the good shepherd. It's no surprise in the Bible when God uses shepherds. And I think one of the reasons for this is that shepherds reflect, at their best, part of the character and heart of God, which um, Marcia shared with the children this morning. A part of God's character and heart, like a good shepherd, is that God is caring. 
and, and nurturing. Psalm 23 that we read together this morning describes some of what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd leads and leads the sheep to uh, where they can eat, the green pastures, to where they can drink, the waters that have to be still or else the sheep won't, they'll be too nervous to get in uh, the water, uh, the protection that the shepherd offers. All of this is celebrated in Psalm 23. That's what a good shepherd does. And a shepherd has a compassionate, caring nature. The story is told in Jesus' day. Now, it's not in the Bible, but Jesus would have been familiar with it. About Moses, when Moses was shepherding Jethro's flock in Midian. One of the sheep went astray. And so Moses went and searched for the sheep, and according to the story, found the sheep. And the sheep was drinking water. And Moses exclaimed, oh, you're thirsty. You must also be weary as well. And he picked up that sheep, put it on his shoulder, and carried it back to the flock. And as the story goes, God turned around watching this and said to all the angels of heaven, Now that's the man that I want to shepherd my people Israel. There are two versions of the parable of the lost sheep in the Bible. In the Luke version, when the guy finds his lost sheep, he throws it over his shoulder. Interestingly, just as Moses had done. David himself is commended in the 78th Psalm for shepherding the people with integrity of heart. Part of God's character is a nurturing, compassionate character. But there's another part to God's character that's revealed in a good shepherd, and that is there's a relentless seeking of uh, the shepherd for any sheep that might be lost. A shepherd is concerned that none of the sheep would be lost. All of the sheep are of great value. And so one of the things that we find out about God, according to Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23, two prophets, God both says to these prophets, I will seek and save my lost sheep. God has that searching nature. And if you think about it, think how many times in the Bible God is pictured as searching. Adam and Eve take a bite from the apple. Remember, they realize they're naked, they're ashamed, they're hiding. And God comes in the garden and says, where are you? It's a seeking question all the way through the scripture. We're told a couple of times in the scripture that God's eyes go to and fro over the whole earth looking for those who love God and who obey God. God is seen from Genesis to Revelation as one who's, who will relentlessly seek after the sheep to make sure none of them are lost. And so it's clear in the Bible that Shepherd is a wonderful metaphor for God. And if that's true, it probably isn't surprising that the chief metaphor for us, the people of God, is sheep. Sheep. Psalm 100 says that God has made us. We've not made ourselves. We are his people, says Psalm 100, the sheep of his pasture. It's interesting that there are two versions, as I mentioned, of of the lost sheep parable in the Gospels. It's likely Jesus must have told this parable on a number of occasions. But in Luke 15, when it's combined with the prodigal son and the lost coin, the emphasis seems to come from this, that people were complaining, Pharisees mainly, that Jesus spent time with sinners, with people they really weren't considered a part of the flock. And so Jesus tells this parable explaining his action to go look for those who may not be considered a part of the flock. 
But in Matthew 18, what leads into this parable is slightly different. Jesus is saying uh, that we should not despise the, quote, little ones. And little ones, when it is used in the gospel, is typically used for the disciples, the twelve, and then others who will follow after them and be disciples of Jesus. So the emphasis in Matthew 18 seems slightly different. It seems to be focused on people who were once a part of the fold or the flock and perhaps have wandered in some way. God is the good shepherd, and we know that God is caring, and we know that God is ever vigilant and relentless and will not um, cease to look for the lost sheep. What do we know about ourselves if we are like sheep? Well, one of the first things we have to know about ourselves is this. We have a tendency to stray. We have a tendency to stray, to wander off the path. And so the parable that Jesus tells is not surprising to anyone who's had sheep. Because sometimes sheep just wander off. Now, it's not an intentional plan. Uh, those who know sheep pretty well know that sheep don't sit around and say, this is oppressive. I've got to get out from under this regime. I've got to get some fresh air. I've got to get some different grass. I need another shepherd. And they, they plan to leave. In the Bible, that's not called a sheep. That's called a goat. Goats are the ones who are very intentional. And make their plan to go their own way. Some of you have seen the picture that I took in Israel about a shepherd who's got goats and sheep in his flock. And you can tell which are which. It's on the side of a mountain. And the ones who are following the shepherd, staying pretty close, they're the sheep. And the ones who are way down here finding their own path, which is probably in their eyes a better path, those are the goats. But generally, sheep, it's not a planned revolt. They're not sticking their thumb up in anybody's eyes. It's just they started nibbling, and they got off course. A nibble here, a nibble there, and suddenly they found themselves apart from the flock. Says Isaiah the prophet, all we like sheep have gone astray. We weren't trying to stick it to anybody. It wasn't a major revolt we planned against God. We just sort of, we were nibbling over here, and this job, or this activity, or this... And we got going more and more in it, found ourselves further and further away. Sheep stray. They do that. The other thing, uh, my friend Scott Hare reminds me that sheep do is they bleat. They cry out when they start to get lost. They cry out when they're hurt. They cry out when things are not right. We might even say they whine. They, they try to send signals that all is not well. But if no one hears the signal, if no one responds, the other thing we know about sheep is they will finally just lie down in the road, wherever they are, and quit. Just give up. If somebody finds them, great. If somebody doesn't, then it's over. It reminds us, I think, of the high stakes of being attentive to the cries of people. When people sometimes cry out, sometimes they do with activities that act out. And we know it's not them. They don't usually act like that. They don't usually talk like that. And when that happens, we tend sometimes to get angry or we might want to separate ourselves from them. But if we understood that they, like we, are sheep, we would understand that that rebuke, that criticism, that strange activity was just a bleeding, letting letting us know that they're off off course, that they're hurting in some way. See, I think sometimes what happens, those of us in the fold, when people 
leave and wander the fold, we think it's a deliberate choice they made. They hate God. They don't like the church. They don't like us. And, and, and they've got this plan. And, well, that's their plan, all right, if that's the way they want it. Not realizing that they just strayed. And the stray caused some pain. And they cry out. And those who have ears can go and search and can be of help. If we know anything about ourselves, we know that we have that tendency to stray. But if we know anything about God, we know that God has that tendency to look for strays. Because one thing the parable teaches, I think quite clearly, is exactly what Marcia taught the children. We are of infinite value to God. God, says Jesus at the end of this parable, is not willing that any should perish. Augustine put it this way centuries ago, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us to love. There aren't six billion other people on the planet. If there was just you and you were straying, God would seek for you. That one matters. Our value is that high to God. You see, what you need to understand is God's seen this perishing thing before. And God didn't like it. One of the principles of interpretation that likely Jesus used because other great rabbis in his day used is when they saw something in the Bible, a phrase or a word, they would go back to the first time that phrase or word was used and they would see what happened then and it might inform them as to what it means now. And so Jesus says that God doesn't want anybody any of the little ones to perish. Peter will repeat it, Second Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish. So I thought I would just real quick, with a couple friends, we looked up perish, and, and we looked up the word and where it might first be found in the scripture, in, in the Hebrew, but it, fortunately it's the same in English. And the first perishing is in Noah, Genesis six seventeen. Remember, the world was so evil that God sent a flood and everything that wasn't on the ark perished. And do you remember how God felt about that? Well, this isn't the Bible exact translation. I'll give you my translation. God said, I'm not doing that again. That was terrible. God's heart, it seems, in the book of Genesis is broken by this perishing. And so God resolves then and there. That we're not doing this perishing thing again. And so God looks and searches and is relentless to see that all the stray sheep come into the fold. But what's very curious about this parable is Jesus tells it in Matthew 18 is Jesus says, now if he finds the sheep, is it possible that sheep can refuse to be found? Is it possible that sheep might not respond to this relentless love. I don't know. But as Marsha mentioned to the children, it doesn't change the value of the sheep. They are still of the greatest value to God. And the interesting part, you probably know this, about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scroll and the shepherd boy, Mohammed, who he and his cousin found these caves, is that he didn't get much money for the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they changed hands, and then they were sold in New York City. An antiquities dealer back in the 50s paid millions of dollars for the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then sold again, and they're worth, I don't even know what. 
But all we know is Muhammad got a few hundred bucks. And he's still alive today. Almost 80. And is he ever angry? Because he didn't get anything for it. Why didn't he get anything for it? Well, you know that, don't you? Because he had no idea what they were worth. He had no idea of the value of those scrolls. It is always important to know value. Now, I'm not an economics major, but my understanding is value is pretty much determined by what people will pay for something. What do you pay for a sheep? A scroll. What do you pay for a person? This is what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. And then he adds, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you know your value? Do you know that you were worth the one, the only Son of God? And the other sheep, that's their value too.